In this song that we just sang, the phrase is contained there, I know how I ought to be. There's three songs that I've noticed that have been led a lot here recently, and I would like to mention those. Let, not, let Me Not Be Afraid, number 652, which was led this morning. And one of the lines in that song is, Remember Not the Sins of My Youth. I want to talk some about sin this morning, and I hope you're not still beating yourself up over sins that you've committed way in the past. Folks, if that's true, you haven't dealt with your sins properly. We need to learn how the Scripture teaches us to deal with sin and put the past in the past. God said in the New Covenant, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He said, I'll remove your sin as far as the east from the west. If God puts our sin behind us, why are we still beating ourselves up over it? We need to get over it. This old heart of mine, page 697, will be the invitation. Or pardon me, that's, that's the one we just read. I know how I ought to be. Remember not the sins of my youth. Why do we identify with these songs? You know, for some reason they're being led a lot. And I think it's because as a congregation we like these songs. And why do we like these songs? Because I think they express feelings that we have in our heart about God and about our struggles with sin. And I, I think these phrases are helpful to us. And so that's why I've chosen to kind of use that as an introduction this morning is some of the phrases from these songs. My worst nightmare as an elder. What does that mean, your worst nightmare? What is the very worst thing that could happen? You've probably never considered that question in regards to an elder. My worst nightmare as an elder is to stand before God on the day of judgment and see someone in this congregation with tears in their eyes look at me and say, you knew I was doing wrong and you did not tell me. That's terrible, folks, if that were true. And so that's why we speak and why we talk and why we warn about the things that the Scriptures have to say. I know how I ought to be. Basically, we know what's right and wrong and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. You know, if we've never been baptized... If we've never received the forgiveness of our sin, we're familiar with many scriptures. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We know what we need to do. And if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized, you need to be and you need to consider that. That's God's solution to the sin problem for the sinner. Peter tells us when we're baptized, then we have a clear conscience. When the eunuch was baptized, he went on his way rejoicing. We know the Bible is plain in this area. 
What about future sin after we've been baptized? Again, the Bible is very plain. In Acts the 8th chapter, we read about a man, Simon the sorcerer, who was baptized. And then he went to the apostles and he offered them money because they were laying their hands on certain people and imparting spiritual gifts unto them. And he went and offered the apostles money that they would give him that gift. And Peter said, Thy money perish with thee. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. Thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy sin and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. This man had sinned. He had committed grievous sin. Peter told him to repent and to pray to God that his sin might be forgiven him. Now, isn't that pretty simple? And isn't that what we really need to do to clear up our sin? Isaiah 55 and verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God wants to pardon us. God has got plenty of pardon to fix any sin we've got in our life if we'll turn from our sin and turn to Him. I want to say to you this morning, don't be afraid to return to God. And yet, so many times we are. You know, Adam and Eve were not afraid of God until they sinned. And then they didn't want to see God and they hid themselves. And they tried to run away from God, just like Jonah did. You can't run from God. You can't get away from God. You can't hide from God. If we have sin, we should be afraid of the consequences of that sin. The wages of sin is death, the lake of fire, the place we call hell. That's the wages of sin. And if we don't clear sin up in our life, that's where we're going to spend eternity with the devil and his angels forever and ever. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, though, whosoever will, let him come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So why do we fear to return to God when we've messed up? But we do. There shouldn't be fear in coming back. The fear should be in staying away. I want to tell you this morning, these verses express the feelings of the God that we serve. He wants us near to Him. He wants us to be close to Him. And if that's not good news, then what is? If that's not what's fair, then what is? We serve a fair, a, a fair God, a one who loves us and gave His Son to die in our behalf. You know, we read about a man by the name of David, and he sinned mightily, and he got away from God. He went out and committed adultery with another man's wife, and then he had the man killed. So he committed adultery and murder. That's pretty bad, folks. That's pretty bad. 
Listen to David. My sin is continually before me. He said he was sorry, but he didn't change for over a year. And he suffered, and he suffered, and he suffered. Why? Because he was afraid to come back to God. He was afraid God would not be willing to forgive him. He knew what to do, but he wouldn't do it. He was too proud. He was too stubborn. He said, when I kept silence, and by that he meant when I would not confess my sin, my life was miserable. He goes on in Psalms 32, and he talks about when he finally did confess his sin to God. And joy returned to his life. Let's not be like David, stubborn and rebellious, and try to hide from God. There's a repentance between, pardon me, there is a difference between repentance and sorrow. Repentance means I change. I've changed my mind. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to make a commitment that I'm not going to participate in that anymore. That's what repentance is. Godly sorrow will work repentance. When we really sorrow because we have broken God's law, not because we got caught or we don't sorrow because of what other people might say or think, but when we're sorry because we broke God's law, that will lead us to repentance, to change. The sorrow we experience in the world does not forgive our sins. The pain that's coming upon us when we sin, that does not forgive our sins. What forgives our sins is the blood of Jesus Christ and returning to God and asking for His forgiveness. In Psalms 32, and this is a neat little psalm, and when you have time, read it. It's just 12 verses long, and it, it is the feelings that David had as he goes through this experience. And he starts out by saying, Thy hand was heavy upon me. His conscience was eating him alive. For what he had done, and how badly he had acted, but then, as you go on to the end of the chapter, he says, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, ye that are upright. Upright means righteous. When he got his life right with God, then he felt good on the inside again. He had prayed, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He'd lost it. He was not joyous. He was depressed. He was angry. He was moody. Don't we get that way when we let sin dominate our life? This man waited a year to clear up this matter. Some people wait years to try to change their life. And the whole time is a life of suffering. That's not what God wants for you. God wants to put a smile on your face. He wants to put a skip in your walk. He wants you to get your eyes off of the ground and look people straight in the eye again. When people are guilty, 
They're very uncomfortable. God, God is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and such as be of a contrite spirit. And again, David said, Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle. Don't be like that. Don't be like a dumb animal. That's what he's saying. Stubborn. I want to have a word to say about habitual sin. Sin affects our relationship with God. Starting out in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. God said of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. The devil came and said, you will not surely die. Eve believed that lie. And she ate of that fruit, and she gave to her husband, and he ate of that fruit. They both sinned. They both transgressed God's word. And so here they were. They were living in a perfect relationship with God. They were living in perfect trust of God. They had nothing to fear from Him. And they were living in a perfect world and just, in a moment, that was gone. That was gone. Sin has affected every person since that day. Death entered into the world, and sin, or death by sin, entered into the world. Romans chapter 5. Well, it was the same way as we come on down and we read about Israel. This time in the book of Isaiah, and God was speaking to His people Israel. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You know, I've been thinking about a sermon for a while, and I never have put it together. There's quite a few of these verses that talk about when God won't hear our prayer. Now, folks, that's a bad place to be. And this is one of them. And he said, your sins and your iniquities have caused God not to hear. I remember on one occasion, he told Jeremiah, he said, don't even pray for those people anymore. I won't hear it. Sin's a big deal with God. A big deal. But we, the point I want to make out of this is, sin affected Israel's relationship with God. We come on to the New Testament, and Jesus gave a parable of the prodigal son. He took his journey into a far country. And he wasted his substance in riotous living. Living wickedly. Living for the devil. You know when he got in that far country, 
There was not one person to warn him that he needed to go back home. Now that's what he would have heard if he had been at home. But not in the far country. Those people didn't love the prodigal son. They loved his money. And when his money was gone, his friends were gone. That's the way the world is. The world loves you for what they can get from you. And when they, you don't have anything to give them, then they're done with you. And you're cast aside like a dirty rag. When he was in that far country, he had no relationship with his father. And that parable is saying to us that when we're turning a deaf ear to God and we're not living for God, then we have no relationship with God. We made the choice, not Him. God wants to be nearer and dear to us. What did Jesus say about His relationship to His Father when He was in the far country? This, my son, was dead spiritually. This, my son, was lost. What does that mean? That means he had no relationship with God, even though he was a son. In Galatians 6 and verse 7, Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We reap what we sow. The choices we make determine our relationship with God, with our families, with everybody. It's important that we make wise decisions. In Galatians chapter 5, he says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Who's he writing to? Is he writing to wicked people in the world? No. He's writing to the Christians in the church at Galatia. And he said, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What is he saying? If you're playing the role of the prodigal son, and you're in the far country, and you're doing all these things you shouldn't be doing, you're not going to spend eternity with God. Those are pretty solemn words. He doesn't mean by this that somebody that did that one time in their life can't go to heaven. That's not what this verse says. They that do such things, those that practice such things, some of the translations say. It's a continual part of your life. And when those things are a continual part of our life, we're not close to God. He said, don't be deceived. I talked the last time I preached here about the rich young ruler. He had a choice to make. 
He could give up his riches and go to heaven, or he could keep his riches and go to hell. He said, then I'll just go to hell. I'm not giving up my riches. And that's just the kind of a decision that these things are. It's a very serious choice. People want to reason with themselves and say, well, I can keep my mistress or I can keep my bottle or my needle. Not and go to heaven, you can't. Jesus said you can't have both. And you've got to make a choice. What's most important? Which, here's the question. Here's the question. Which world do I want to live in and die in? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan? That's the question. Which world do I want to live and die in? And then there's people, you know, who want to play games. Let me tell you something. God don't play games. He don't participate in the game. God is a serious, sober person. God loves righteousness. And He don't have time for foolishness. But you know, some people want to play games with God, and so they're over here in the light, and they're, they're living a Christian life, and they say, well, but, but I want to get right over here close to the line. And then a little later they say, well, I want to get over here just a little bit closer to the line, but not go over the line. What are we doing? We're allowing Satan to tempt us, to play with us like a cat with a mouse. And so then we finally get right over here and we get up against the line. But we didn't go over. We're okay. And then we go over the line. And we go into darkness. And so we get a little disturbed and we jump back across the line. What are we doing? You think God's pleased with that? You know, I'm just going to get over the, uh, and then I'm going to ask for forgiveness and then I'm going back. You see, what caused us to go over the line in the first place? Our heart wasn't right with God. And so, then the next time we go a little further over the line. And the next time a little further. And finally we get way over the line, way over here. Somebody says, well, I, I, I know I'm lost. I know I'm in darkness. But I'm going to get back over the line before I die. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that? Somebody says, well, I can, I, I can get on the other side of the line anytime I want to. That's the devil's lie. You can't get back over that line anytime you want to. Just look around you and see if people do. It gets complicated. 
You get way over here. Let's make that a little bit longer. You get way over here. And you fall in love with the devil's daughter. Or his son. Already it's getting more complicated. Because she's not fixing to go back across that line. And then she gets pregnant with your child. She's not going to the light. And now you've got business associates and maybe you've bought a house and you've done all of these things and, and all of a sudden, life becomes complicated. And I can't go back because of this and this and this and this. Yeah. And your life is in a mess. And that's where you're at. How are you going to fix that? How are you going to fix that? It can be fixed, but I'm going to tell you, it'll be one of the hardest decisions you've ever made in your life. I change. I'm going to do whatever it takes, but I'm not going to die in the far country. But I'm going to tell you, it'll be hard. And there'll be scars, and there'll be broken relationships, and there'll be all kinds of things that you cannot imagine when you're playing games with God right here. So many people want to hold on to both worlds. You can't have your cake and eat it too, and you can't have heaven and sin. The prodigal son got in that kind of a mess. And he repented and he went home. And he left all of that over there. The father welcomed him with open arms. And the father will do the same for anybody today that will make that decision. But not very many people ever make it. Their heart's too hard. They just, don't, they just will not give up that complicated mess they're in. They're there by choice. We need to be serious with God and not try to play games with God because He won't participate. Romans 6, 1 and 2, Shall we continue in sin? Now that we're been baptized, now that we're a Christian, Paul says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No way, Jose. Not now, not ever. That's not God's plan. Repentance means I change. I walk away from that. I go to something different. And so we want to have forgiveness without repentance. That's the problem in our society today. We want to have forgiveness without repentance. We want to dabble around and play around with sin and want God to accept that. 
he doesn't accept that. The Bible says that Christ wants to present a glorious church without spot or without blemish unto the Father when he comes back. Do we have, as the song says, sins that two men's eyes are hidden? We mean by that secret sins. Nobody knows about it, or we think they don't, but I'm going to tell you something. You know about it. That's why your conscience bothers you. God knows about it because He knows everything. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out, and no matter where you go or how you try to hide, Sin has a, has a messenger to come back and say, Hey, you know what so-and-so did when they was in the far country? And then we get mad at them. I'm not commending gossip. But I'm just telling you, sin will come trickling out somewhere in your life. You cannot hide it. I want to say quickly a couple of things about James, the fifth chapter, if you want to open your Bible and read there. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Is it, verse 14. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I don't have time to go into detail on what's being said here, but there's just a couple of points that I want to make. One of them is, if we want our sins forgiven, and that's the part I'm going to focus on this morning, if we want our sins forgiven, and we've got a sin problem, when we wake up some morning and we realize we've got a sin problem, and it's so complicated, I can't see my way out, what do I need to do? Well, wouldn't a good idea be to call an elder? These are the people that are watching for your souls. I would think that would be the first call you would make. But let me also say, I don't think elders are the only men who's Prayers are answered. And so if you have someone closer to you that you have confidence in, then I would say to you, call that individual and say, hey, I need some help. Because if you're committing sin over and over and over and over, I promise you, you need help. Confess your faults one to another. Did you know that's a commandment of God When's the last time you confessed one of your faults to someone? That's a commandment of God in black and white in your Bible. We don't practice that a lot, do we? We say we're a people of the book. We follow the scripture. We don't follow that one a lot. He said, call for the elder. 
If you've got sin in your life, and you believe the men's eyes that are hidden, then there's a very good chance the elders don't know anything about it. How are they going to call you? Because they don't even know you've got a problem. God put the responsibility on you to do the calling. Now, I do want to say one thing. This is not every time we commit a sin that we've got to call an elder. This is talking about those habitual sins and things that we've gotten into that's got our life all complicated and we need help. We need to call an elder or we need to call somebody. Maybe, maybe one of the things that hold us back is, well, I'm just so ashamed of what I did. Is that holding you back this morning? You know, the shame is not in committing the sin. Satan got an advantage of you and caused you to do that. The shame is if you won't call and get help, and the shame is if you won't confess it. Now, that's a shame. Because God gives us this great opportunity to get it right, to get it fixed. And then we're just so ashamed that we can't talk about it. I'm just going to tell you the devil loves that. That's one of his best weapons. If he can get you to not confess your shame, or pardon me, confess your sin, then he has succeeded. He has succeeded. You know, the scripture says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And I want to just tell you this morning, the God that we serve said that. Draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. When a child's hurting, where do they want to be? They want to be in mama's bosom. They want to feel her arms around them. They want her comforting words. That's where they want to be. God said, that's where I want to be in your life. That's where I want to be in your life. I want to be close to you. I want to help you with your struggles. I want to help you defeat Satan. I want you to have the very best that you can have in this life. And that's why I've given you these teachings. So that you can have the very best there is. You're the only person here today that knows what's in your heart. The only one. I can't read hearts, neither can anybody else. Do you have regrets? Do you have shame? Do you have unresolved sin issues? Somebody says, boy, I sure wished I could change that. Well, I'm just here to tell you this morning, you can't. When waters went under the bridge, you cannot bring it back. 
And when sin is committed, you cannot undo it. But you can go to God and He can fix it. He can fix it. He can remove it as far as the east is from the west. He can give you the peace that passes all understanding. And He can comfort your tears. But not if you want change. Not if you want change. Not if you won't repent and confess your sin. Because I read in about the last chapter of the book of Revelation about the city of heaven. And it says no sin will enter here. That's why it's going to be such a great place. We won't have all of this torment mentally and sometimes physically. Won't be any of it there. All that's going to be left here. Are you near to God this morning? You may need to confess your sin. Someone says, well, I couldn't do that before the whole congregation. I would not recommend that to anybody. I'm talking about personal sins that we need help with that we confess. But you may need to confess to God, I've sinned. I've been away, Dad. I left the house because I didn't want to be here, and I'm back. I'm back. In 1 John 3 and verse 20, the scripture says, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, for he knoweth all things. If your heart's condemning you today, you can hide that from me, but you can't hide that from God. And you know what he wants? He wants you to come back home. He wants you to get it right. And then he says, if our heart condemn us not, then, and only then, have we confidence toward God. When we get this sin problem, whatever it is, cleared up, we don't have to act like Adam and Eve anymore, and we don't have to hide from God, and we don't have to be ashamed. Because when God removes it, it's removed. Just like when the surgeon removes the tumor, it's gone. God can do that to your sin. And He wants to do that. And He wants to say, welcome home. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're among us again. Do you see the confidence that we can have in our brothers and our sisters and God and Christ and the angel the Bible says that there is more rejoicing or there's rejoicing among the angels more over one sinner that repenteth than over ninety and nine just people that's where the rejoicing comes and Satan's been defeated again and this person has left they've walked away from Satan and said I want to be a part of the people of God If you're here this morning and you don't have that confidence, you can have it before you leave this building. You can have it. 
you'll come and confess your sin and say, I want to be right with God. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's his invitation to you this morning. Would you come as we stand and sing?